Welcome to the Gov Innovator Podcast. I'm Andy Feldman. Our topic today is re-examining the lessons from the New Hope Project in Milwaukee for tackling poverty and unemployment today. Our guests are Julie Kirksick, the former executive director of New Hope, and Callie Grant of Georgetown University. Here's a clip. We do need to really make sure that individuals have a way forward with a coherent set of policies that if they are wanting to work and able to work, that we can make that really possible in a way that builds on our strengths of the private sector, but also fills the gaps. The New Hope Project was an anti-poverty demonstration program in the 1990s in Milwaukee that offered a straightforward but powerful pledge. If participants were willing to work full-time, they would not be poor. While the program ended more than 20 years ago, its lessons, including from rigorous program evaluation findings, are especially important today as the nation struggles to tackle racial and economic inequalities exacerbated by the pandemic. A new brief published by Georgetown Center on Poverty and Inequality re-examines the lessons from New Hope, and we're joined by two of its authors. Julie Kirksick is the former executive director of New Hope and has since served in senior human services roles in both Wisconsin and Colorado. And Callie Grant is a senior program analyst at Georgetown Center on Poverty and Inequality. Julie and Callie, welcome to you both. Thank you, Andy. It's wonderful to be with you. Yeah, thanks so much, Andy. Julie, for listeners who are less familiar with New Hope or need a refresher, will you tell us the roots of the program and what the New Hope offer was? Sure. The New Hope offer was developed as a result of community organizers working in Milwaukee in the 1980s who were trying to help unemployed and underemployed people get access to jobs. And we were doing this in the midst of a very large and mostly negative shift in the labor market, one that went from uh, jobs that paid a living wage and had benefits to jobs that often were contingent, that is to say temporary or not even guaranteed year-round. And that all was a result of the 1970s and 80s and the deindustrialization and shifts in uh, the global economy. But meanwhile, here we are in Milwaukee trying to figure out how do we help people who are not seen as competitive in the labor market, how do we help them get access to a job? Because we did believe and still believe that in this country, the richest country in the world, that people should be able to take care of themselves and their families by going to work and making enough to not just survive, but hopefully thrive. So the roots of New Hope were actually based on the experiences of those 10 years. At the end of that decade, we thought, we think we know what government can do to fill the gap between what the labor market provides and what people actually need. So we decided that we would put those policies to the test and that we would undergo rigorous evaluation and see whether what we thought was the right approach was indeed shown to be effective. So that's the origins of the New Hope Project. The New Hope offer represented a flexible but somewhat comprehensive set of policies. First and foremost, we said, we will guarantee that if you want to work, you'll be able to work. And we did that by providing subsidized jobs, which were essentially jobs of last resort. If people could not find full-time work in the labor market, they were eligible after eight weeks 
to have access to a six-month temporary but real work wage-paying job. The second part of the offer was to provide earnings subsidies that combined with the uh, wages from the job and the earned income tax credit, we topped that up, if you will, with an earnings subsidy to make sure that you and your household were out of poverty on a monthly basis. We paid it on a monthly basis. The third part of the offer was access to affordable health insurance, and the fourth part was access to affordable childcare. None of that sounds very revolutionary, but what was revolutionary was putting it all together in an offer that people could use as needed. The offer was theirs for up to three years. In the end, through a series of evaluations that were both quantitative and qualitative, we found that indeed we did help people who participated. They were able to get out of poverty. They were able to reduce some of the stress. They were able to be able to do things with and for their families that they could not otherwise do. But I don't want to paint this as some kind of uh, magic solution. It didn't solve everything. It didn't mean that people skyrocketed high wages, but it did indeed provide the kind of economic stability that allowed them to do better for themselves and for their families. But the reason that the New Hope Project achieved so much notoriety, if you will, had to do with the fact that there were positive impacts on children's well-being. So a project that was aimed not specifically at children ended up showing very positive impacts on children's school achievement, children's behavior in school, children's aspirations, including into the teen years. And all of these were outcomes that were because we helped the parents be able to care for their children. Julie, thank you for that background and those important points about New Hope. I want to give each of you a chance now to share what you'd recommend to the Biden administration and to Congress in terms of the best way, in your view, to build on the lessons of New Hope and related initiatives uh, that you subsidize employment in particular. Kelly, would you start us off? Yeah, absolutely. So the ongoing public health and economic crisis is the perfect exact situation where subsidized employment can be a really effective policy tool to meet the needs of workers and employers and communities across the country. And we know from decades of subsidized employment programs that they work well and that they can be flexible and versatile, as Julie was saying, to meet different types of needs effectively. So a national subsidized employment program would really help the Biden administration accomplish a lot of the goals that is stated related to having an even and equitable recovery and ensuring that no workers get left behind. So uh, policymakers should really take all this evidence into consideration and implement a permanent national subsidized employment program. Thank you, Kelly. Julie? Well, I'm going to go back to the social contract idea. I think we, the Biden administration could build more political support by talking about how a package of policies, and 
it might not be just the New Hope offer, but it could be additional ones. For example, paid family leave and the higher minimum wage. We are in a place where we say we have a worker shortage, and yet I can tell you, because I have encountered people who cannot get hired because they don't have a work history, because they have been incarcerated, because they dropped out of school. So we do need to really make sure that individuals have a way forward with a coherent set of policies that if they are wanting to work and able to work, that we can make that really possible in a way that builds on our strengths of the private sector, but also fills the gaps. I so much appreciate the useful points from you both. My thanks to Julie Kirksick and to Callie Grant. Also, thank you to Natalia Cooper, who's the third co-author on their brief. And I will post the link to that brief on the podcast website. Julie and Callie, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. Andy, thank you so much for having us on the podcast. And I hope people will uh, really follow up and look at the Georgetown brief.